I'm Joanne Gallagher, host of the Think Future podcast. This week, we're talking with Alexis Davison of Major Road Projects Victoria. Alexis is the Executive Director for the Victorian Government's Engineering and Program Services Department. Join us in a minute for the conversation with Alexis, who will tell us about their innovative ecologic program and Recycled First Policy, an initiative aimed at optimizing the use of recycled and reused materials on Victorian infrastructure projects. This podcast is brought to you by Arcons, a global leader pioneering solutions and services to the AEC and manufacturing industries to support digital transformation for the built environment and smart manufacturing. Visit Arcons.net to learn more about how Arcons are helping organizations design, build, and sell through digitalization. From Arcons to you, welcome to our Think Future podcast series. Each week, we'll share conversations with industry leaders from around the world to find out how they're thinking future. Subscribe to Arcons Think Future for access to more episodes, interviews, and profiles. Alexis Davison is an industry leader with extensive experience in all stages of infrastructure delivery. Throughout her career, Alexis has held key roles on major projects in the public and private sectors in Australia and the UK. Alexis is experienced across the transport sector in Victoria, where she has led growth area road network planning and business case development for 50 level crossing removals and three suburban road upgrade packages. Inspired by the challenge to build sustainable transport infrastructure, Alexis was instrumental in the establishment of Ecologic, an initiative aiming to optimize the use of recycled and reused materials on Victorian infrastructure projects. Welcome to the program, Alexis. Thank you. As is Executive Director of Engineering and Program Services team at Major Road Projects Victoria, could you just give a little bit of, about your background in education and the career highlights you have up to this point? Uh, yeah, it's great to be here. Um, I'm a civil engineer by trade. So I started my life in the private sector doing design um, and consulting in mostly transport infrastructure projects in Victoria, have had roles in the state government overseeing the delivery of various road projects um, and other things. And at MRPV, I'm currently responsible for a lot of the support services to our delivery teams in um, sustainability and planning and environment, um, engineering and innovation. So we have the fortunate um, opportunity to to explore some of the more um, innovative and progressive parts of uh, infrastructure delivery here in Victoria. Thanks for telling us about that. What is MRPV for those who might not know? Oh, sorry. Major Road Projects Victoria. So we are a delivery agency that deliver projects for the Department of Transport and Planning here in Victoria. Oh, great. So, Alexis, what is the role of government then in the policy space? Uh, The government's got a really important role um, to set the intention and to send strong signals to to the industry and the market that they're serious in, you know, in this case, uh, progressing, increasing the use of recycled content in, in our infrastructure. The, the market and the um, supply chain need certainty and policy can, can provide a really strong, certain future that the government is serious about buying certain products or, or services and it can act as a catalyst for change. So, you know, the policy direction can actually send the, the market and the supply chain in in a certain direction. So, I think 
to leverage and capitalise on the buying power that governments have, government policy can be really, really important in setting the direction in a, in a whole range of areas. And in my area, it's infrastructure delivery. That's right, because governments are probably the most powerful procurement partner every country has. So why did Ecologic get established by the Victorian government and what is its role? So we established the Ecologic program a few years ago to really create a focus on sustainability and the use of recycled content. We realised that we didn't really know how much recycled content was being used in infrastructure and we were aware of anecdotal stories of good practice in various projects and teams, but there was no sort of systemic approach to the use of recycled content and no one was keeping a data set of where it was and where it wasn't and was it performing. And So we, we, we really saw the need for a team to be able to focus on understanding what was going on and if it wasn't, why wasn't it? So what are the barriers perceived or real and how can we contribute to sort of the, the higher order government targets of reducing carbon emissions and avoiding landfill and the general transition to the circular economy. Like we needed a team that was focused on it. And so we established the program to um, essentially strive to be the world leaders in the use of recycled content in infrastructure. And we very deliberately set ourselves uh, a fairly ambitious sort of goal of, of becoming leaders. Uh, we didn't want to sort of just be mediocre and do a little bit. We wanted to sort of go large and do a lot. And so having a team where we can provide support to project teams, we can do a lot of that sort of research into specs and standards and what's permissible that project teams and engineers involved in delivery don't have the luxury of time or resources to explore a new material. It's too late. Once you're in a contract, it's too late to do some of those other less project-specific things. Um, you just don't have the headroom. So the first thing the team did was develop the Recycled First policy and having a team ready, ready to go to support the implementation of the policy has been so critical because, you know, it's it's like when anything's new, there's a new process, delivery teams have already been bombarded with requests for all sorts of things and reports and information and, you know, and there we are saying, and can we have this recycled content information and can you do another plan and can you think about all these other things as well as getting it finished on time on on budget and so having that team to support the project teams develop templates help them work their way through what sort of conversations should they be having with the contractor what is available and permissible to them um, has been a really really key part of the policy implementation Oh, that sounds very, like, really a valuable resource. And I'm sure you're going to tell us a little bit more about how that comes about with the client later, maybe. Yeah. So, Alexa, do you know what other states and territories are doing in Australia? 
We know that we're the only state um, in Australia to have a, a policy. There are a lot of, you know, good sustainability practices um, happening in other jurisdictions, but a lot of them are looking to us to co copy our policy requirements. So we're involved in a, a conversation with our counterparts um, in other states and territories, and they're increasingly looking to us to emulate what we're doing here in Victoria. So we're pretty confident we're the only ones that have a policy and a team um, and an ecologic program like this. We've also been reached out to from other countries, so Singapore and the United States and Netherlands, and, and a lot of people have reached out to us because they've found us through various channels to try and understand what we're doing and how that can apply to their local jurisdictions. That's very interesting. With respect to the recycled materials, can you just explain what you mean by optimise? So we very deliberately chose the word optimise. So the policy requirement, the Recycled First policy requirements, there are only two. The first one is to optimise the use of recycled content and the second one is to report on it throughout the project's life. So optimise was a word that we chose very, very deliberately because it doesn't set contractors up to fail. There are def definitely various factors we need to think about when using materials in projects and cost and geography is important. So particularly here in the state of Victoria, we have a very geographically sparse number of projects, you know, from one end of the state to the other. The local supply of recycled content varies depending on where you are in the state. And we don't want recycled content being put on a truck and travel hundreds of kilometres to the project site just to say, yes, we use recycled material. We don't want to create those sort of perverse environmental outcomes where we've got emissions and transport costs associated with getting those materials to projects. So what we wanted to do is optimise. So we want you to use as much as possible in, within the constraints and the geography and the budget for your project. So that that's what we mean by optimise. So can you give an example? Yeah, so at the time we were developing the policy, we were building a bridge over the Murray River. And from what we understand, you can only get crushed glass to use as a sand replacement in Melbourne. And we didn't want the, the crushed glass going on a truck, driven hundreds of k's up to the Murray, just so that we could have recycled content in a bridge. Like, we didn't want that. So... You know, you can't put minimums and targets easily because we didn't have a good data set for how much content was in projects. So even setting a target, if we tried, it would have been wildly low or wildly high. It just it just would have been meaningless because without a baseline, how can you set a sensible target? So what we thought is if we use Optimize and we get contractors to prepare Recycled First plans, and then we can monitor the quantities of recycled content being used over time. Maybe in three or four or five or six years, we'll have enough data to confidently set targets. But maybe we'll always leave it as optimised because there's always going to be geography. There's always going to be other contexts, um, you know, processing costs. Yeah, so hence where the logic comes from, ecologic. It's logical. <laughs> yes, exactly. What impact does Ecologic have on supply chain development then in that regard? What we've found is that 
Because the government has very strongly indicated to the market that we're prepared to buy recycled materials, it has made uh, suppliers much more confident to invest their own research and development dollars into developing new products. Suppliers and, and innovative sort of entrepreneurs will go so far, but unless they know they have an end market for the product that they're making, they don't want to invest their own research and development dollars in, in you know, product development. So having some fairly um, strong signals coming from the government and, and a very high degree of certainty that someone will buy what you make has made the supply chain more confident to innovate and newcomers will find avenues to start developing a new product using a new waste stream. So have you seen much innovation started since Ecologic began? Well, what we found is the, the Recycled First policy was released at about the same time as the broader Victorian government circular economy strategy, which is a 10-year plan. And as part of the circular economy strategy, there are a number of grants, programs, market acceleration package, like funding grant programs that anyone can apply for, and they all have their own parameters. And what we found is increasingly we're getting calls and we're pointing people to those sort of grant programs. And like before we set up our team, it's impossible to know what was going on because no one was collating a, a comprehensive picture. But we do get a lot of people ringing us now saying, where can I go to get some support? We've actually got a few products that have been approved since we started and that's partly through our engagement with the supply chain. We run things like um, sort of like a Shark Tank equivalent where people can pitch up with their product ideas and we'll arrange a panel of technical experts to sort of challenge and test and they tell us what their pain points are and we sort of say, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And some of the products that have been pitched to us in those forums are now approved for use, which is kind of exciting. So you're sort of helping them to define their business case in a way. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, sending a really strong message that, you know, if you make it, we'll buy it if it meets the technical requirements. That's fantastic. I'm sure other governments are interested because of the, <laughs> if this model's working, you know, the whole industry is going to give you that positive feedback, isn't it? Yeah, and we get a lot of positive feedback, yeah. So how is Ecologic overcoming any barriers anything that's unsuitable or unfit for purpose, um, according to industry standards, outdated policy and mindset? It's interesting because when we started the program and we started talking to people about what their understanding was of the use of recycled materials, there's a whole range of views. And everybody was telling us that the specifications were prohibitive, that there's, the specifications didn't allow the use of recycled material. So what we did is we trawled through all of the specifications <laughs> and we collated a, like essentially like a user guide, like what can you do? Did you know that you can use, you know, 30% recycled asphalt products in pavements? Did you know that you could use X percent of this material as a replacement? And we created essentially like a guide to what was permissible and we visualised the guides. So we've got a sort of on online platform where we can publish tools and support materials and we put the user guides on there and we basically educated all of our teams on what you could do because nobody knew what the permissible quantity was. 
So everybody's like, oh, you can't do it. But they didn't even know what the rules were. So we told everybody what the rules were. And without changing very, very many specifications, like we've been tinkering around the edges and we've seen like a significant uptick in the use of recycled materials because people now know what you can do. And so our project teams are able to say to the contractor, why aren't you using crushed glass instead of sand? Why don't you consider buying your drainage pipes from the plastic recycled drainage pipe, you know, where the shampoo bottles are becoming drainage pipes? Why are you still buying concrete? We've created a whole heap of um, like workshop guides to help our project teams have healthier conversations with the contractors. You know, we've developed the kind of, you know, technical guidance to say, did you know this is all the things that you could do? We've created templates for recycled first plans. So a lot of the barriers that people were citing in the early days were actually not real. They weren't actually real barriers. It was more an education and awareness issue than a real prohibitive specification. Uh, that's really been a game changer. And it's like, it's so simple. It's ridiculous that it's so simple that you just tell everybody what the rules are and everything gets better. <laughs> you brought a lot of clarity, it sounds like, to a very yeah. sort of confusing situation. You've just clarified everything. And uh, nobody had taken the time to get that clarity before. So kudos that's to you right. guys. And one of the other barriers um, that we were being, we were hearing about a lot was the quality of recycled materials. Um, and, you know, lots of people have had different experiences over the years about plastic products being brittle when they're exposed to UV light. Technology and materials technology has sort of moved on leaps and bounds, even in the last decade. And there are all sorts of UV stabilizers and additives that people can put in the plastic that like protects it from the sun. And, you know, something that happened 15 years ago that's kind of in someone's mindset, I'm never going there again because it's rubbish. We, we've sort of tried to work hard to sort of coax them back from the ledge and get them engaged again in the use of recycled materials. And one of the things that we are really strong about promoting is a recycled material is not a like-for-like like replacement for another material. So you can't say that a plastic pipe is the same as a concrete pipe. There are different things that are doing the same function. So you can't leave plastic pipes in the hot sun, but you can leave a concrete pipe in the hot sun. So you've got to think of the thing as it's there to carry water from point A to point B. It's a different product and needs to be handled and installed differently. And that's quite a mind shift for people. It's not a recycled replacement. It's an alternative way of doing the same job. <laughs> So you touched on targets and outcomes. Can you just explain the difference between a target and an outcome and what your focus is? So targets are very specific um, and they will either specify a maximum or a minimum um, requirement. And like I said earlier, if we set targets too high or too low, they're just meaningless. And the focus becomes on ticking a box rather than you know, using waste streams as valuable resources. So we wanted the focus to be on avoiding landfill and using our waste for something valuable rather than just scrambling around to tick a box. And, you know, minimum and maximum targets, there are cost implications, there are emissions implications. 
you might tick the box and meet the target, but you don't necessarily get a sustainable outcome. So we wanted the, f- the focus to be holistically on sustainability, not just ticking a target box. Yeah, and by that way, you, you get people to think outside the box, the tick box, you know. So thinking is how we're going to solve all our problems. Yeah. Very good. So how are specifications changing in light of the focus on sustainable outcomes? So we're, we're trying to shift to more performance-based specifications, like a, the example that I gave with the pipes. You can get water from A to B in various ways, and we need to be able to describe the requirement as in, I need to move this much water from point A to point B and not tell the contractor that it must be in a concrete pipe. So a lot of the specifications are very prescriptive and they will define, you know, for example, noise walls was another good example. In Victoria, the specification was very prescriptive about the material that the noise wall had to be made from. And it's like, well, if it attenuates noise and you can clean graffiti off it and it doesn't fly away in the wind, what does it matter what it's made from if it meets the requirements of reducing noise for the people that live on the other side of the the noise wall? So there's a lot of specifications that are very prescriptive that we're trying to change to more performance-based specs. And performance-based specifications will permit increased quantities of recycled content or new products to come onto the market because it's up to the supplier then to demonstrate how they're meeting the performance requirements and if they can do whatever load testing or durability testing or, you know, technical, whatever whatever investigations and, and proof that they need to demonstrate that they're meeting the performance requirements. The, the material that the product is made from should not be relevant to anybody if it's going to be durable and it can be maintained and it's not more expensive. So we're trying really hard to sort of shift people's minds away from needing a very defined prescriptive set of rules to I want the thing to do this job and the market can respond to those requirements. I read somewhere that the UK is more focused on performance-based specifications now too. It's common in the industry um, and, you know, it, like a, it's like a lot of things. Like some of these things have been around for decades and no one's ever really reviewed them because why change what's not broken? But it, it is a common, you know, various jurisdictions to consider performance more so than, you know, telling exactly telling people exactly what you want and how you want it. Like defining the outcome that you're looking for is more important. Can you outline a bit more specifically what Ecologic is doing to drive innovation? Like, for example, what challenges and um, how are you bridging the gap between government contractors and suppliers? So we're we're doing a number of things. We're organising. What we found is if contractors don't already have a relationship with the supply chain, once they're in a contract, it's too late because it's too risky to explore a new supplier or a new product when you've got a contractual framework that you're working to a budget and a date. So what we've been trying to do is to build the supply chain and contractor relationships, a bit like speed dating. Um, and technology has been great for this. Like, you know, since we've all become used to Zoom and Teams and, and all these various like tools that we have at our disposal after years of working at home, we can actually exploit them. We invite 
people into a room and then we just send them out into breakout rooms and they kind of meet each other and they can say, well, I'm a contractor or I make plastic pipes or I do this. And what we're trying to do is foster those relationships with people before they get to the stage where they're in a contract with pressure and deadlines and, and financial constraints. So that's one thing. The other thing that we're doing is these innovation challenges where we invite suppliers to pitch to us their ideas or their products and we can sort of test and challenge from a technical perspective. We can ask them about durability. We can ask them about load testing. We, can, You know, it's almost a bit like, you know, we've got a panel of people from the department or from the engineering teams um, and, and we can test and, and challenge and help suppliers navigate the approval pathway. And the other thing that we've done, we've had two conferences at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre and they've been really well attended by, you know, hundreds of people and a key component of that conference was the trade hall. So we had, you know, 50, 60 suppliers of recycled content and a lot of the delegates that attended the conference were contractors and designers and just getting them to walk around a trade hall and look at the product, touch it, feel it, ask questions about it, understand it. And, you know, it's all part of building those relationships and the understanding of the products and the confidence in the products, knowing where they can buy it um, has been a really important part of that. Bridging the gap between the contractors and the suppliers, we need the contractors to have a strong connection to the supply chain because people are creatures of habit and they'll go back to the supplier that they know that they got it from last time and that's not necessarily one of these emerging um, new innovative products. So we need we need to foster those relationships and can you know we've we've held a series of roundtables with cross section of the industry. You know, we're sort of regularly checking in with suppliers to try and understand you know, what's different, what's changed, you know, people have reportedly secured contracts with contractors because of a conversation that they had at one of our events. And so that's really nice feedback where we see the impact of what we're doing. It's largely anecdotal, but all positive. You're on the leading edge of how to do effective stakeholder engagement. (laughs) When it comes to trial and error you know what are the trials uh, and challenges of and the value maybe of failing fast can you talk a bit about that because people get scared to try new things so how would you handle that so failing fast is important so that there's no uh, significant investment of time and money into something that's going to ultimately prove to be inferior or not you know approved so Sometimes I feel a bit conflicted about trials because I think if we write a technical specification and the supplier can demonstrate that they meet it, let's just all move on with our lives and call it a product. But we do need to trial some things. We have access to a lot of facilities where we can do a lot of pre-testing before we have live you know, projects, try something out. But we need to be prepared to take appropriate risks and that risk appetite is something that we really need to work on. And there are a lot of things like noise walls that are not safety critical. If, the, if it doesn't quite work, it's okay. We'll learn something and make the next one better. So I think we need to be a little bit more open to risk. And I think sometimes um, the attitude 
don't expect a recycled product to behave the same way as a virgin material product. And therefore, like, you know, when we're trialing new things or, you know, installing new products and using new materials, we need to moderate our expectations about how those materials perform. But yeah, I think we do need to, you know, have a structured process. Um, If we're going to do trials, we need to do more structured trials. And one of the things that we're doing at the moment is some research with the Monash Rail Institute um, into sort of the next generation of plastic railway sleepers. We have a steering committee that we're part of. You know, we're funding together with Sustainability Victoria and the Monash Rail Institute this this research. There's a lot of oversight. There's technical committees. The team has to come and present progress. So there's a bit of structure and oversight and it's going to go for a two-year period at the end of the two years, we'll have a conclusion about did we do it or not? Do we need to do some more work in this area or that area? So I think putting some structure and definition around any trial is is necessary, but also I don't think we need to trial everything. I think we need to sort of back ourselves and take a little bit of risk and some products are okay to just start using. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after a short break. Here's a little bit more about our cons. Arcons has a mission to advance the efficiency, quality and profitability of project outcomes for its customers by providing best-in-class technology and services. Are you looking for a digitalization and sustainability-focused partner to help you achieve your goals? Join the thousands of AEC and manufacturing customers globally who have turned to Arcons to start their journey toward a better built environment and smarter manufacturing. With more than 50 locations around the world, our cons can connect you to the right technologies and expertise so you can improve your competitive position and increase profitability. Our cons has an industry expert to help you navigate the best pathway forward wherever you are on your digitalization and sustainability journey. Visit ourcons.net to find out more. Alexis, after you hearing about all of the trials and pilot studies that are going on with all these innovations. How do we go about sharing all of that with each other, with each industry, so that we're not double investing? It's a great question. You know, we often hear about there's no IP in safety. So that, you know, safety, if there's a safety innovation or something that's going to prevent injuries or worse, nobody owns that. And it's it, it's shared with everybody in the industry. And I think with some of these innovation and um, particularly new products, if there's been a trial in one jurisdiction, the material doesn't change if it crosses a border. So, you know, why does every local government need to test the product to make sure it's suitable for use in their LGA? And the best analogy I heard recently was you go to buy a new car, you assume someone's done some safety tests, you don't go and commission your own, you buy the car. So, if someone has trialed and tested and verified a material because it's in a different city or a different location, does that material change significantly to the point where that jurisdiction needs to go and do their own testing and their own trialing and their own verification process? So I think we need to get a bit more mature about how we rely on each other because we don't all need to reinvent the wheel. (laughs) So, So I think we need to be a bit more trusting of each other and if there is evidence and we can publish and share, everything gets more efficient, use goes up, per unit costs go down, and everybody wins. I was just thinking, 
of course you've made you might not have any major examples right now because it's a work in progress, but maybe you have examples of where you're making efforts to raise the profile of the conversation and, and get that going more and more. Yeah. Can you talk yeah. about anything like generally, you know? I think the more we talk about new products and trials and, and outcomes, the better it is. Uh, we've created an online platform that sits on the Big Build website where we're happy to share any of the tools and outcomes. We publish news articles. One of the really powerful things is is facilitating things like the conference and those sort of high-profile public discussions where we're creating a conversation nationally. You know, we're participating in forums with other jurisdictions. Um, we are working with local government organisations like the Municipal Association of Victoria, which represents the 79 councils. If we can share in forums like that, it increases others' confidence to rely on the good work that's happened elsewhere. And, you know, being part of those national conversations with counterparts in other jurisdictions, it's enabling the conversation. It's like one conversation happening that everybody is party to rather than lots of disparate conversations where, you know, someone might not have all the information and then make a conclusion based on something. Whereas if you kind of provide a focal point for the discussion and a kind of like a coordinating role, we can curate the conversation nationally and internationally, sharing all of the information. So when we have a a central kind of focus point, that's the team that knows everything that can be the go-to place for anybody without having many, many, many disparate conversations with maybe people not having all of the information at their disposal. So I think that's what we've really tried hard to do is to sort of create one conversation, share information, learn from each other, then everybody doesn't need to reinvent the wheel every time. That is really the art of hosting and facilitating these conversations and making sure everyone's in the room, basically, somehow or other. They have access to the information and can contribute and get feedback. Yeah. So, Alexis, when it comes to eMesh, though you said earlier, you mentioned them. What are the social and economic benefits that's going on with that project? So, eMesh is an Australian-made product using 100% recycled plastic and the plastic filaments uh, replace the steel reinforcement in concrete. So, instead of putting the mesh that you might have seen, you know, in the the concrete and then pouring the concrete in, a whole lot of recycled plastic fibres are mixed with the the cement and and the water and the sand to, to make the concrete. It's used commonly now for bike paths and non-trafficked areas. It's not used in structural concrete, but it's used in the concrete that you might see on the bike path that you use or the footpath or, um, you know, some architectural finishes where, you know, it's easier to sculpt. It's, it's a really cool product because it's cool for so many reasons. It first uses recycled content, so that's one thing. It has massive carbon benefits because we're not using steel. It's produced and manufactured in regional Victoria. So we're getting jobs in the regions, not in the cities. And the the filaments are made, they're packaged at a National Disability Insurance Scheme supported workplace. So we've, we've got this kind of lovely supply chain of 
recycled content, regional development, regional jobs, NDIS-supported workplace, carbon benefits. You know, it's actually more recyclable if you decide to rip up the bike path for whatever reason because you don't have to separate the concrete from the steel. And and people look at a bike path and might just see concrete, but it's it's got this lovely benefit chain attached to it where – you know, people are getting sustainable jobs in regional cities in Victoria because of this product. <laughs> I just love that example. That is just showing how the whole ecosystem, the, the community and nature are sort of working together and everyone's winning. That's awesome. It is really cool. <laughs> so we're getting to the end soon here. And um, I'd really like to know how, if a company wants support from Ecologic, what would they do? Can you advise them where would they would start, where to contact you? We can be found on the Big Build website at www.ecologic.vic.gov.au. We have an email address. So our email address is ecologic at roadprojects.vic.gov.au. Uh, we've got a team on hand to respond to questions or point people in the right direction. We have a series of... Um, tools and resources and articles on our website page. We also have a knowledge hub that people can apply to subscribe to that has more information um, and templates and tools. There's a supplier map on our knowledge hub. So if you're looking for any particular product, you can look at a map of Victoria and see where the suppliers of that product are. So there's a lot of tools. So I would definitely point people to the website in the first instance, send us an email, request access to the Knowledge Hub, and the team would be happy to help. And Ecologic is spelled E-C-O-L-O-G-I-Q, Q at the end. Thanks for that. So we're coming to the final question. When you think about future possibilities and the future of innovation through engineering in Australia, what excites you the most, Alexis? I think um, the next five to ten years are going to be where we need to see the most innovation to arrest the trends that we're seeing in climate change. And, you know, recycled materials have such a critical role to play in the decarbonisation agenda. and. I'm really happy to see the worlds of social procurement and decarbonisation and recycled content colliding because, you know, there's some really nice synergies between all of those things. And I think more collaboration between the subject matter experts in those particular fields is going to accelerate the, the change that we need to see in the next five to ten years to meet our targets and, and stop the planet from boiling. <laughs> well, it's really wonderful that to know that Ecologic exists and have expertise such as yourself and your team and you're wonderful facilitators of this important conversation nationally and internationally. And I wish you all the best and I hope that you will be able to come back and say, yes, we are the leaders in this I whole hope so recycle too. <laughs> space. Thank you for having the conversation with me today. Thank you for having me. This podcast was brought to you by Arcons. Arcons is leading the digital transformation of the AEC and manufacturing industries by providing best-in-class technology solutions from world-leading partners and their own in-house development software 
from the Archons B Smart portfolio for building, infrastructure, and manufacturing. Archons is a company that cares about creating and building a better world. Together, we are working with industry and environmental experts, providing forums and platforms through our Archons Think community to create conversations that matter to our future generations. We invite you to join in the conversation and participate in our Think community. So like and subscribe to Think Future to stay up to date with the latest innovations and conversations as we advance the digital journey for AEC and manufacturing around the world. You can download our podcasts at ourcons.net or from your favorite podcast platform. From Arcons Think Future, thanks for listening.